book of Psalms, Psalm 1. <clears throat> and I just want to read verse 6 of this psalm, and then we're going to have just a brief review of both Psalm 1 and 2, just to kind of remind us of some of the pathway that we've already traversed in these two psalms. And verse 6 says, Psalm 1, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And of course, we saw that word perish in Psalm 2, verse 12, when the Lord admonishes the wicked to kiss the Son or do homage to the Son, that He not become angry and you perish in the way. And what we've learned here is that Psalm 1 and 2 are foundational to our understanding the rest of the Psalms here in these five books of the Psalms that we know collectively as the Psalms themselves. If we're really going to understand how the psalmist, multiple authors are speaking, we have to understand these two Psalms and how they're used in the Psalms that are following. And we saw in Psalm 1 that basically you have a blessed man. Blessed is this type of man. And in fact, that word blessed, if you look in other Psalms, you'll find that that word blessed is used to this same man. One of the Psalms says, blessed is the man whose sins and iniquities are forgiven, to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And so we know that the Psalm 1 man, this blessed man, whatever he is, he's not perfect as far as a believer would be concerned. And we've also learned that that Psalm 1 is ultimately and finally fulfilled in what man? In Jesus Christ himself. He is truly the blessed man. And we as believers in him, we're blessed because we are in him. This blessed man is a man, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And he has a mindset, the same mindset that's mentioned in Romans chapter 8. His mindset is is that he meditates day and night in the word of God. In his law, he meditates day and night. And this is his delight. This isn't something he's forcing himself to do certainly is something that we can grow up in, but there is this delight to be thinking upon, to be meditating upon the ways, the person, the activity, the providences, the theology, the person of the Lord himself. This is what really delights a genuine believer. And he's meditating, and the Bible says in verse 3 of Psalm 1, that this man would be like a tree. A tree in which that word brings forth its fruit in its season. In other words, this man's a fruitful man. He's exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in his life because inwardly he's being transformed by what he's meditating on. He is engrafting what he's meditating His leaf does not wither, verse 3, and whatever he does, now we're talking about his activity, whatever he does, he what? He prospers. 
And this is a statement of fact of this blessed man. And the Bible says in verse 6, as we read before, that the Lord knows the way of this man, this righteous man, because his ways are the ways of the Lord. And then we have this amazing statement here in verse 4 where it says, all that we've talked about, the wicked are not so. Now it's not that they don't meditate. They do meditate. We saw this in Psalm 2 and verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising this, our same Hebrew term, meditate? Why are they meditating on a vain thing? Lost people do meditate. They do give their minds to certain things. They have a mindset about them, just like Romans 8 speaks of. But the wicked are not like that description. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. They're not going to stand in the judgment like righteous people will. They're not going to stand in the assembly of the righteous. In fact, verse 6, the way of the wicked will, we've already looked at this, it will perish. And then we go to Psalm 2. And what we find in Psalm 2 is that wicked people are in rebellion. And they are in rebellion, verse 2, against the Lord and against His anointed. What they're rebelling against is His authority, His fetters, and His cords. And I think it would be a legitimate reference to say that the fetters and the cords are probably references to the restraints of God's law. So God's law would say, thou shalt not commit adultery. They chafe against that. And so they are rebelling against that. And they are rebelling not only against those cords and fetters, they're rebelling against God's own chosen king. Verse 6, God says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy hill. Who is this king? Well, I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said unto me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And of course we noted in Acts 13, this is referring to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now note verse 9. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. Verse 12, you will perish in the way when the son, the king, gets angry and his wrath is kindled. But for the righteous, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. Everybody see this is kind of the Lord's given us a contrast between the righteous and their way and the wicked and their way. And so we can sum it up exactly like we read in our our, uh, reading. The righteous man will prosper, and the wicked man will perish. That is truth. That is a fact. But what we have in this life, if you continue to read in the Psalms, What you will find in the Psalms, if you are carefully reading, looking for this, 
you will find that it seems like it's the exact reverse. That it is who are prospering. The wicked are prospering. And it's the righteous that are perishing. There's a psalm in which the writer says, the righteous are abandoned. There's psalms that say that the righteous are terrorized. And yet, in Psalm 2, verse 5, the Lord says that He will terrify wicked people in His fury. You ever been terrified? You ever had circumstances come in that caused terror in your soul? You ever read the newspaper and got fearful? You ever heard something on the internet or read an article or watched something on social media? And it just, it just sends tremors through your soul. It sends terror through your soul. In other words, under this sun, everything seems the exact opposite. That people who are delighting in the Lord, they are meditating in the law day and night, that they're rejected. That they're fruitless. That they're going to be the ones that are going to be destroyed from the Lord's own presence. They're the ones who are in danger of saying in their soul, there is no benefit in serving God. Now let me ask you, can you you think, you may not be able to pick out the address, but can you just run through your mind different psalms and say, you know what? That's exactly what the psalms are telling us. Did any of the psalmists think that they were abandoned? Did any of the psalmists think that, or even say, there's no benefit in serving the Lord? We're going to look at some. And of course, the wicked, the wicked are the ones that are blessed. They're the ones that get the pay raises. They're the ones that have money, privilege, influence, approval. And it's that perplexity. Does Psalm 1 say, whatever we'll do will prosper? Yes or no? Yes. Does Psalm 1 say and Psalm 2 say the wicked people will perish? It does. And yet there is this perplexity. And folks, it's a perplexity that is very oppressive in our lives. It's oppressive for many avenues. It tempts our young people to walk in ways that are not pleasing with the Lord. Because our human nature is, we want to prosper. We want to secede. We don't like affliction, right? We don't like trouble. 
we don't like. We love reading about George Mueller sitting down at a table and there's no food and he thanks the Lord for it and then there's a knock on the door and there's a person saying, you know what? My, my milk cow wagon just broke down out there and I, I got to get rid of all this milk because it's going to spoil. Can you use it? And George Mueller says, yes. Don't you love to read that? How many of you want to go through it? And when those types of perplexities are there, it really, it really becomes hard. It becomes hard for older believers. I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago. A long-term pastor. And he made this statement, and I can identify with this. He said, you know, I've been in the ministry so long that I just kind of anticipate nobody's going to obey what I say. Well, when you start out in the ministry, you're all hopeful that if you, if you just give somebody the Scripture, they're going to what? They're going to do it because it's the Scripture. And when that man said that, I thought, that is so encouraging. Because... <laughs> We all end up doing this, not just pastors. You know, what's the use of raising my family if X, Y, and Z happen? What's the use in working hard if I'm going to be passed over for a promotion? We have all these perplexities in life. And dare I bring up one that is common to us all, and that is our health? You would think that if you're walking with the Lord and serving Him, that you'd be what? You'd be healthy. I mean, His leaf's not supposed to wither, and my leaf is withering. I'm just bringing up different perplexities. And folks, every one of these perplexities that I mentioned to you is in the Psalms. Every one of them. We have a present perplexity in this life that can become a stumbling block for us. And that is the prosperity of the wicked. Because it seems like Psalm 1 and 2 aren't true. Now our Lord had to face this. I just want you to turn to the prophet Isaiah. And let me just show you a couple of passages here. Let's turn to Isaiah 52. Isaiah chapter 52. And I'm just going to read something here. And I I think you'll hear Psalm 1 when, when I read this. Look in Isaiah 52, look at verse 13. Behold, my servant will what? Prosper. Everybody see that? My servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. 
That's talking about the servant of Isaiah. That's talking about who? Christ. And yet, then you read something that is perplexing. Verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his appearance was marred more than any man. Does that sound like prosperity? And his form more than the sons of men. Look in Isaiah 53. Look at verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Does that sound like prosperity? Yes or no? It does not sound like prosperity. You go down to verse 7. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off? That's, that's mosaic language of being cut off from the people of God. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. And yet, was he prosperous? Was he high and lifted up? He was high and lifted up, but folks, from a human perspective, those people who looked at him on that cross were not saying, "Ah, that's what I want. I want to be prosperous like he's prosperous. But yet our Lord had his eyes on the right thing. Now I want us to go back to the book of Psalms. And I just want to very quickly look at a couple of Psalms. And once I point this out, if you've not noticed it already, turn to Psalm 10. The next time you read through the Psalms in your Bible reading, you ought to take note of this. And when you start taking note of this, you will see it everywhere. Psalm 10. Look at verse 2. In pride the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Everybody see that? So who's afflicted? The righteous people. The wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Look at verse 3. Because the wicked boast of his heart's desire. And the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in his haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, here's his meditation, there is no God. Verse 5, His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of His sight. As for all His adversaries, He snorts at them. He says to Himself, here's His meditation, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. 
Is that man prospering? He's prospering. You don't say throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity if you're in adversity. He's prospering. He's not afflicted. Verse 7, His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place like a lion in his lyre. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws them into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. Look at verse 11. What's he thinking? He says to himself, God is forgotten. He's hidden his face. He'll never see it. Did everybody see what we're seeing here? It's the wicked that are prospering. The ones whose meditations are not filled with Scripture. And in fact, in those verses that I just said to you, I didn't pull them all out, but he's after the righteous ones and he talks about they're oppressed, they're afflicted, they're caught in the teeth of a lion, they're drawn in a net like fish, they're like a spider going after its prey, caught in a web that they didn't see. He's looking at the unfortunate ones. Who's that? Well, surely it's the poor of this world, but it's, they're against the righteous. And what does the psalmist say in verse 12? Arise, O Lord God, lift up your hand and do not forget the who. Now, folks, what the psalmist is doing is what we need to do when we pray. It's the Psalm 1 man that's blessed, right? It's the wicked that are going to perish. But the psalmist just said, who's who's prospering? It's the wicked that are prospering. Does the psalmist throw away the promises of God? No. He says, God, I'm going to remind you of Psalm 1 and 2. Lord, would you rise up And would you not forget the afflicted ones? Would you rise up and overthrow them like you said? Everybody everybody see that? Okay. It seems like everything's upside down, but the psalmist is actually praying based on Psalm 1 and 2 that God is going to have the wicked perish, that they're not going to prosper. Because when the Lord comes and visits them and the wicked are perished, the righteous will shine like the stars in heaven. Then our prosperity will be seen, right? And he's praying based on those two things. If you go to Psalm 37, and again, you can just go through all these psalms 
And you're going to see the exact same thing. You're going to see wicked people prospering. You're going to see them going after righteous people. You're going to see righteous people suffering injustice. And you're going to read the psalmist praying that what God said in Psalm 1 and 2 will happen. Psalm 37. Look at verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Does everybody see that? Or verse 14. The wicked have drawn the sword, bent their bow, to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Verse 16, Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. And young people, you ought to memorize that. Because God may not give you wealth. He may not give to your home what you consider your thoughts about what necessities are. Like a George Mueller. But better is the little of the righteous. So the righteous had little than the abundance of a whole group of wicked people. Everybody see that? This is the affliction of the godly. Verse 32 of this psalm, skipping over a lot here just for time's sake. The wicked spy upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. Verse 35, I've seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Now folks, when you read that, what psalm are you thinking about? You're thinking about Psalm 1, aren't you? Because it's the righteous who are supposed to be like the tree by the living waters in its native soil. But here he says, you know what? I've lived long enough to see a violent, wicked man spread himself like that tree. Now he's going to go on and say that God cuts him down. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that wicked and violent people do expand in the soil of the earth. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember that that man? And you remember Daniel saw him like a tree. Now folks, if you were a righteous person in Israel in that day, that would bring some perplexity apart from revelation. And yet sprinkled all throughout Psalm 37 are the promises of Psalm 1 and 2 that the wicked will perish. That they will perish. Look at verse 2. Don't be envious against toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Verse 3, 
Verse 9, For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 10, Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. Is that not the promises coming out of Psalm 1 and 2? He's praying them, and he's exhorting God's people to trust in them. Verse 13, The Lord laughs at him, that is the wicked man, for he sees his day is coming. Verse 20, But the wicked will perish. And the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And folks, here's one of the perplexities. People who do wicked, in many, many cases, not only seem to get away with it, it seems like the Lord blesses them in what they did. And that is deceitful, isn't it? Ecclesiastes talks about that because judgment is not executed quickly, the heart of the wicked are set to do evil. It'd kind of be, I don't know if it'd be nice, but wouldn't it be kind of nice that when a person really did wicked, that God killed them right then? Instead of letting them live and plant and be prosperous and be tempting to the people of God? Psalm 73, you already know this one. This is one of the books that are preached frequently, written by Asaph. And he begins this psalm by really stating Psalm 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Why? Verse 3, I was envious of what kind of people? Arrogant people. God said arrogant people will perish. As I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Look at verse 4. There are no pains in their death and their body is fat. Now let me put that in today's vernacular. As a general rule, they're the healthy ones. They have the right food. They have plenty of it. When they get close to death, they face it with bravery. What does that say about righteous people? Righteous people may not have good health. They may be troubled like Christian was in Pilgrim's Progress when they crossed the river of death. Folks, it shouldn't be that way, right? Psalm 1 says it should be the, it should be the opposite. Verse 5, they're not in trouble like other men. They're not plagued like mankind. They're actually getting away with their arrogance. My wife and I had the opportunity to watch, 
I don't know, it seemed like we watched it all, but I, we didn't watch it all because <clears throat> we had a good fast-forward button. Okay. And what I found out is if you're watching track and field at the World Championships, there's only like 40 minutes of track and field. The other four hours are commercials and replays. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you see these people, these athletes, marvelous specimens of humanity. Running 100 yards, 100 meters in 9.3 seconds. It's like 35 miles an hour. I don't know exactly, but somewhere up there. It's faster than... I've had a few cars that couldn't go that fast. <clears throat> in other words, you're not going to get away from them if you're going to try to run away from them. And the things they say and the arrogance that comes out of their throats and the pointing at themselves, it is disgusting. And yet, they're the ones that are prospering. They're the ones making millions. They're the ones that if they have any sense of reason when they get older, they're not going to have any issues paying for their health bills. and They're fine. And here you are, you're a believer, you're doing the thing that the Lord smiles upon that's well-pleasing to Him, and you're praying for your daily bread. Lord, give me this day my what? My daily bread. You say, well, Pastor, I don't do that. I pray for my weekly bread. Okay. Lord, give me this day my weekly bread. Folks, what I'm trying to say is in this life it's the exact reversal. And it calls this godly man Asaph problems. Godly people are not above being troubled and tempted in the prosperity that is surrounding them. And I could go on, but I'll quit here. Look at verse 14 when he talks about himself. <clears throat> I've been stricken all day long, chastened every morning. What do you think about that? Or verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Is he troubled? Mm-hmm. Folks, trouble, according to Psalm 2, is supposed to go to the wicked. But know what he did. Folks, Asaph is a Psalm 1 type of man. Look at verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, It was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived. He came to an understanding. What did he understand? Their end. What is their end? Perishing. Not standing in the congregation of the righteous. 
Verse 18, Surely you set them in slippery places. In other words, their destruction comes upon them suddenly. You cast them down in destruction. Verse 19, How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you're aroused, you will despise their image. And I really love the fact that what brought Asaph back to a proper understanding was his meditation on the law of God. (laughs) He goes into the sanctuary. You remember in the sanctuary, the Torah is read. You've got all that imagery that's there. And he goes, "Ah, I understand. And I want to conclude by reminding you of another chapter in the Bible. And that's Romans 8. Romans 8 says the very same thing. Romans 8 is a chapter of which we can walk away if we don't believe what God is saying, misunderstanding the prosperity of the wicked. That prosperity can turn us away from the right path of the Lord. That prosperity can say to us that God has abandoned you. That prosperity of the wicked can say to you, God doesn't love you. You wouldn't be such a sinner if if God loved you. You wouldn't be in the dilemma you're in if God loved you. You wouldn't be in the circumstances that you're in and God loves you. In fact, oh, let me remind you, that Joshua 1 and Moses and Psalm 1 say that if you really were righteous, you'd be prospering. You can walk away looking at the prosperity of the wicked and say, well, God's not for us. God's what? Against us. And you remember what Romans 8 says, if God be for you, See, I'm just reversing it. You can lose your security in Christ because you're looking at all these things, the prosperity of the wicked. You can even walk away saying that my sin is still upon me. And brethren, Paul reaches back into Psalm 1 and 2 and says, no, in all these things, All these negative things, all this lack of prosperity under this sun. (laughs) Nothing can separate a Psalm 1 man or woman from the love of God. So folks, you understand when I'm saying that a right understanding of Psalm 1 and 2 really informs you all the way through the Psalms and tells you how to pray. It tells you how to pray in light of the prosperity and the arrogance of the wicked. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.